from cute to monstrous. What is the neuroscience? Tune in to find out only here on the People Scientist Podcast. People Scientist, the podcast dedicated to helping us optimize our health with the latest scientific findings on neuroscience, physiology, and nutrition. I, your host, Dr. Stephanie Caligiuri, a nutritionist, physiologist, and neuroscientist, will be here with you every single week, bringing us information to ignite our thinking to help us be one step closer to the healthiest we can be. Hello, my People Scientist Army, and welcome back to the People Scientist Podcast, where every week I arm us with some scientific information so we can all be a little bit smarter and healthier every week. Today is episode 98. We're getting one step closer every week to episode 100, and I'm very excited for that milestone. But how are you all doing today? Wherever and whenever you are listening, I hope that I can brighten up your day give you a little bit of interesting information. So today's episode is a bit of a fun, lighthearted episode on the neuroscience of cute. Why do we think things are cute? What is going on in our brain when we see something cute? Is there an evolutionary reason for this? So as we always do, how about we start off with some core takeaways? Cuteness, typically defined as baby-like features like large eyes, a round face, and vulnerability, is a survival mechanism. Cuteness activates brain regions to reinforce caregiving and protective actions. However, in this episode, it will take a bit of a turn that you wouldn't expect, and that is on the spectrum of cuteness, on the far right, it ventures into monstrous. Think of big eyes being really cute on a puppy. But if it goes a little bit beyond that, where the eyes are too big, we can have a character like Gollum in Lord of the Rings. Similarly, cuteness and its vulnerability or disarming nature of it could be used to manipulate or make a bitter pill easier to swallow, so to speak. Think of cartoons with violence like Bugs Bunny. We think nothing of the violence because it is cute characters doing the violence. But the scary thing is, this can also be used in politics or other realms as well. So this is a blend of neuroscience, but also psychology in this episode. Now, let's get into those details. Responding to the cuteness of an animal or baby is not a new phenomenon. From an evolutionary perspective, a human's ability to respond to the cuteness of an infant or an animal triggers an innate process of caregiving, and that's known as the baby schema. Glocker in the journal PNAS in 2009 named a set of physical features of the baby schema, which is thought to be the reason why we think someone or an animal is cute. The baby schema or appearance includes often a round face and big eyes and a vulnerable-like appearance. Apparently, these features motivate caretaking behavior, which therefore has an evolutionary purpose to enhance survival of babies. 
So in a clinical trial, scientists wanted to understand what was the the neurobiological basis of this response to cuteness. So they recruited 16 women, and they were shown different images of cute babies. And the women were asked to rate the photos as 1. Not very cute, 2. Cute, or 3. Very cute. The scientists also used functional magnetic resonance imaging, or fMRI, to scan the brains of the women at the same time as them looking at the pictures to understand which brain regions were being recruited while they viewed the images. So using fMRI and a controlled manipulation of the baby schema infant faces, the scientists found that very cute images recruited a brain region called the nucleus accumbens. Now, this brain region is really interesting. It's a brain region I study too. It's very commonly studied in the context of rewarding pleasurable things like drugs, alcohol, sex, socializing, music, etc. It is a key structure mediating reward, processing, as well as motivation. Things that recruit this nucleus accumbens of our brain becomes very reinforcing due to a release of dopamine and that feel-good response. That means that we want to keep doing it because it feels good. So the scientists concluded that recruitment of this brain structure, the nucleus accumbens, is the brain mechanism for why cuteness reinforces caregiving. In the journal Frontiers in Behavioral Neuroscience in 2018, scientists measured the electrical pulses in the brain while people looked at cute images. And according to their methods, they showed a picture of cute babies and cute puppies then pictures of less cute babies and less cute puppies, which for some reason I find really funny that they had to find quote-unquote less cute babies and less cute puppies. I would assume then that that means like smaller eyes and perhaps a longer, narrower face. The scientists observed that cute aggression was also something that they had observed in the participants, and that was related to a feeling of being overwhelmed. So it is as though responding to feelings of cuteness is on a spectrum, and at the far right of the spectrum, extreme cuteness may entice feelings of cute aggression, it's called, like, I want to squeeze you or bite you, you're so cute, kind of thing. Cute aggression is an example of a dimorphic emotion, meaning experiencing an emotion of one type, but showing the opposite. For example, feeling happy, but crying, feeling sad, but laughing. Cute aggression was also related to both reward processing and emotional salience in this study. This response seems to occur more so in women and less so in men, which is really interesting. But why that is, is not perfectly understood. Scientists have indicated that progesterone and estrogen don't seem to correlate with how women perceive cuteness. But every day, even in my own research projects, we are learning more and more that the female and male brain are very different. For example, I realized a few months ago that there is a large contrast in how connected two brain regions are in males versus females, and that this difference in connection could potentially explain disparities in stress and anxiety in different scenarios between males and females. The brain is still such a black box, and we are learning more and more every day. So I would hypothesize that the female brain, specifically the nucleus accumbens that responds to cuteness, is quite different in men versus women. Because people have understood the power of cuteness for quite some time, it has been used to their advantage. For example, Nagai in 2020 wrote that cuteness is a teasing expression of uncertainty. Cute things often represent small, weak, and helplessness. But cuteness is also an aesthetization of powerlessness. 
As a result, it invokes a feeling of protectiveness or being a caregiver by others. May, in the book The Power of Cute, proposes a cute spectrum, where on one end, cuteness is comforting, and on the other end, it is uncanny, meaning unsettling or strange. For example, cuteness can be used to exploit vulnerability. For example, a cute puppy. Perhaps that cute puppy did something bad, and then they give you the quote-unquote puppy dog eyes. A key feature to cuteness, large eyes, right? And if they give the puppy dog eyes, they may get away with whatever bad thing they had done. Or a cute child knowing that they may be able to get away with something because of their cuteness and vulnerability. When trying to get out of trouble, making the eyes bigger seems to be a common action, isn't it? Large eyes is a key feature of cuteness. And when people were shown images of eye size on different babies, the larger the eyes, it seemed to be the more strongly that nucleus accumbens brain region was activated. Cuteness also possesses a vulnerable charm, so it could be used to solicit someone's love. So cuteness may seem to disempower its owner, but it is likewise some type of seduction that can capture the subject. For example, many companies use cute characters to help sell their products to capture the consumer, like the Geico Gecko, the Aflac Duck, the bear on Charmin toilet paper, or the polar bear in the Coca-Cola commercials. These cute characters are used to entice and garner the attention of people. There's also an interesting connection made between cuteness and being monstrous. For example, cuteness can include large eyes, but if the eyes become bigger, beyond a certain threshold, it is viewed as monstrous. Think of the movie character E.T. Here, this character is borderline, cute before becoming monstrous. In contrast, think of Gollum from the movie Lord of the Rings. He too has very large eyes, but now more so on the side of monstrous. Interestingly, in the journal Neuroscience in 2014, when people viewed beautiful or ugly monstrous characters, the same brain regions seem to be involved in their assessment. Beauty and ugliness in the brain appear highly entangled and non-independent. They seem to act on the same neural circuitry, that nucleus accumbens brain region, but it just seems to act on that neural circuitry in opposite directions. So it is as though beauty turns on the water tap and ugliness or being monstrous may turn it off. These two things, cuteness and being monstrous, one would think would not coincide but they may just bite. Likewise, the use of cuteness can be thought of as a sweet uh, coating that makes it easier to swallow a bitter pill, so to speak. It is, in other words, able to change meanings of ambivalent and simply negative issues like violence. Think of so many children's shows, like Bugs Bunny even, how there is violence in these shows, but it is made easier to handle simply because the violence is being conducted by cute characters. In the book, The Power of Cute, May even talks about Donald Trump in this context, whom May argues has a touch of the monstrous element of cuteness. Some people find his inconsistent leadership frustrating yet appealing. Did he display traits of power but also vulnerability? Did this vulnerability or cuteness, let's say, make the negative information he shared easier to handle? More likely to come across successfully? Did his cuteness cause people to feel protective of him? like a mother to a child. It's an interesting thought, isn't it? If we go back to the neuroscience, we know that cuteness activates the nucleus accumbens to increase feelings of reward, motivation, caregiving, and protection. This is an evolutionary survival mechanism. So quite possibly, 
cuteness could be used as a way to get across a message in a more positive, less threatening manner. Whether this is used in a positive or negative way is up to the person handing out the information. So that is a wrap, my people, scientist army. Cuteness includes physical features like a baby having large eyes. Seeing a baby or animal with large eyes, small round face, and a sense of vulnerability seems to recruit the nucleus accumbens of the brain to reinforce a pleasurable, caregiving, protective response. If someone is overwhelmed with cuteness, it may induce feelings of cute aggression, which seems to be related to this same brain region, the nucleus accumbens. But the cute aggression does not necessarily involve actual aggression. You know, you say you want to squeeze the baby, but you're not going to do that. It just has to do with heightened emotional salience. Cuteness also is on a spectrum, where on the far right, it could lead to more of a monstrous appearance and can lead to using cuteness as a manipulative technique to reduce the salience of negative information or content. So I hope that this episode was interesting for all of you. I know that I certainly learned something new in the context of the cuteness spectrum, leading to monstrous features and capabilities. That's something I didn't know, and I would love to hear your feedback and what you think of that. If you don't already follow me on social media, make sure to do so, as I share extra information on the week's topic, as well as some of the papers I cite in each episode. If you want to buy me a coffee to say thank you for the episode, the information on how to do that is available in the description box. I will be taking next weekend off from the podcast for the Easter weekend, so I will meet you back here for episode 99 on April 11th. I hope you all have a wonderful week, and I will meet you back here in two weeks' time. Bye for now. I am a scientist simply sharing scientific evidence. Some of the clinical interventions I discuss are not appropriate for everyone. Before making any changes to your diet or lifestyle, please do consult the advice of your physician or dietitian. My opinions expressed here do not necessarily reflect those of Mount Sinai Hospital and its affiliates.